0: Welcome to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Here's your host, Ben Wilson. Good
1: morning and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. I'm your host, Ben Wilson, and my Bulldog Rodney is beside me as usual. And we are continuing our Love Your Lawyer Month theme with my special guest, Vitaly Buford. Vitaly is a fellow Kentuckian, and I came across her profile when she was a speaker for the Kentucky Bar Association over a problem known as perfectionism. I'm like, I'm a perfectionist. I should listen to this thing. And it was fantastic. It was great advice. And it's a real problem that a lot of people have that they can let really control their lives. So I reached out to Vitaly and she agreed to come on the show. And I'm really thrilled to talk with her today about her theme of overcoming perfectionism. Vitaly is an executive coach, a speaker, and an author. She's actually the author of Addicted to Perfect, which is a great read. She has 14 years of experience in the corporate world and eight in the legal industry, so she knows the stress that lawyers go through and stress that working professionals do. Vitaly is also a working mom, so she brings that perspective to the table for our discussion today, and she's been featured in New York Times- And like I said, folks, she did a great presentation for the Kentucky Bar, and I'm thrilled to have Vitaly as my guest today. You can learn more about Vitaly's coaching platform and her programs at www.VitalyBuford.com, and that is V-I-T-A-L-E-B-U-F-O-R-D. And for the basketball fans out there, you can remember Vitaly kind of like Dick Vitale, except (laughs) Vitaly pronounces it the Italian way. So please welcome my special guest, Vitaly Buford, to Living the Dream Vitaly, thanks so much for coming on the show.
0: Oh, thanks for having me, Ben. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yes, I'm very excited. Uh, Like I mentioned, I really enjoyed your discussion uh, with the Kentucky Bar about overcoming perfectionism. It's definitely something that uh, lawyers struggle with, and uh, a lot of just working people in general do, and and COVID uh, uh, increased that for a lot of people. So um, tell me, before we get into the perfectionism presentation, tell me a little bit about your career and how you got started in being an executive coach?
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, all of our journeys lead us to where we are and we can look back and and trace those steps. Um, But for me, I grew up in an environment where I thought I needed to be perfect, to be loved. And that meant really high achieving in school, really thin, and this pressure to perform and be, quote, perfect, right? And that's when I needed to be loved and worthy and successful. So, in college, um, I was introduced to Adderall, and um, it allowed me to have ten hands instead of two, and I thought it was the perfect drug. And because of prescription, I told myself this lie that it was okay. And I became addicted to it for ten years. Oh wow. And during the ten years, um I was very successful professionally. So on the outside, very successful, very thin, high achieving. I worked for two different law firms, uh, one in uh, Kentucky and one in Alabama, mm-hmm. and their marketing and business development efforts. And, you know, I was working seven days a week, very long, long hours, and enjoyed it because my work was my identity. And then at the end of those 10 years, I realized, you know, I can't, I can't continue to live my life as an Adderall addict. And so several things came into play. And so I realized, you know, I need to get sober. And that was almost seven years ago. And during that transition, I was like, you know what, I want to switch from the legal profession, I want to be an HR director. So I moved back to Kentucky and became an HR director and then started coaching the executive team, and became a certified coach and started my own business, which is where I am today. Mm -hmm. In terms of like my message and what I do. Yeah, I was, I wrote my memoir in 2019 about my addiction to perfectionism, which was, you know, my addiction to Adderall was just a symptom of my, this bigger problem, which was perfectionism. And I realized no one's talking about this. No one's talking about the pervasiveness of perfection, how it keeps us from, you know, living fulfilled, productive, engaged, um, joyful lives. And so that's my mission on the planet, right? Is to spread this message and to turn all perfectionists into recovering perfectionists.
1: Yeah, I thought, um, I think the topic is great because as a lawyer, we, well, think about it though, we're we're about the same age and since you, well, we've grown up in school, it's like you got to get A's, you've got to be on the basketball team or the cheerleading squad or whatever, and you've got to be good. I see parents that put a ton of pressure on their kids to mm-hmm. be the best athlete because they feel they need to be the next Tom Brady or the next LeBron James right. or whoever and you're hit the nail on the head when it's a lot of kids grow up feeling like if they don't get the A on the grade, if they don't aren't the best on the team or whatever, then they're a failure, then their parents will uh, not appreciate them or or whatever. Um, in law school, you know, lawyers are very competitive. It's all about who's in the top rank of the class. So there's that pressure there. And once you get into the law firm world, it's like, okay, you've got to bill your 2,000 hours or 2,200 hours. You've got to, um, you know, bring in enough clients and you've got demanding clients. And it's a lot of stress on the lawyers and a lot of prof- other professions have it too. So, um, I, I think it's a huge issue, and I think that a lot of people, they get to a point where they don't feel that they're good enough, and it results in more depression, and we've seen a lot of that the past few years. Right. So um, so what uh, when someone comes to you and when you speak to groups on um, the problem with perfectionism, where do you start?
0: I start with educating them with what perfectionism is because we've been taught as a society that we want perfection, that we need to achieve mm-hmm that, you know, that's the ideal. And it's actually what's keeping us from success. And we think it's the thing we need to be successful. So it's educating people about perfectionism. And Mm -hmm. perfectionism is not needing to have a perfectly organized desk or perfectly clean house or car. It's like the deep-rooted symptoms of perfectionism. And perfectionism is very externally motivated, right? It's when we outsource our decision-making, our intuition, our self-worth to things outside of us, right? It's when we allow everyone around us to be the expert of us instead of us being the expert of us.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so the goal really is instead of being you know, this search for perfectionism, we really want to have this search and this achievement of excellence. And I can talk about the difference between those two, but quickly, I really want to talk about the symptoms of perfectionism, so the main symptoms of perfectionism are procrastination. It could be analysis, paralysis, waiting to make the you know the perfect decision, needing all the information before you make a decision, or just putting off, starting that that project, that brief, that whatever you're working on, the billable hours, right? Because you just put it off. Um, you're afraid it won't be perfect enough. And so you let fear win instead of action.
1: Mm. It's
0: when we get stuck in indecision. Right. We don't we don't trust our decisions because, again, we've been letting everyone else make our decisions for us. Right. Like I need you to be happy for me to be happy. So what decision should I make?
1: Mm-hmm. What
0: do you think I should do? And so we don't trust our decisions so we can you know waffle back and forth or we'll make a decision and then we'll question it for months after. Did I make the right decision? Did I do the right thing? Mm-hmm. We're constantly seeking external validation and approval. What do you think I should do? And what you know, what should I do about this? It's when we avoid conflict, right? Having a difficult conversation with our partner or with a colleague, mm-hmm. but we can't control the outcome. And so right. we're constantly comparing ourselves or imposter syndrome, right? Feeling like a fraud. Why am I in this room? I'm afraid to speak up. And then you were talking about competition. You know, it's being overly competitive because there's a difference between being competitive with yourself and being competitive with others. Mm-hmm. And being competitive with others is perfectionism, being competitive against yourself. You know, can I do better than I did yesterday? That is excellence.
1: Okay. Interesting. Well, um, I tell you what, I I think it's a very interesting point because um, you talk about the procrastination. Mm -hmm. And I guess where some people are like, you know what, I'll I'll say one thing I procrastinate on. I wanted to write this movie project called from the outhouse to the penthouse. And I've been working on it and stuff. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have the ideas. And I'm almost finished, but it's like, uh, and I've gotten submitted, I've got comments back and stuff, but then it's like you get busy and you think, okay, well, I've got to tend to this project or work or whatever, and you don't get around to it. And you look around and seven years later, and you haven't finished it. And it could be something um, for some people, like they hate their job and they want to go into a new career and they say, you know what, I'm going to be that real estate agent or be this or that. And they never get around to it. Because they don't think the time is perfect for them to do it, so right. very interesting right. so so talk about the difference between um you know you you were saying that there's a difference between perfectionism and excellence yeah. um, talk a little bit more about that, yeah.
0: Yeah, so perfectionism is externally motivated, right? Mm-hmm. We're worried about what other people think. I need to please other people. I'm afraid of judgment, criticism. You know, I'm afraid to go for that new career because what will people think? Or what if it doesn't happen? Or what if it, you know, doesn't happen perfectly? So it's externally motivated.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Excellence is internally motivated. You know, like that, the, the competitiveness example, right? Like I want to mm-hmm. be better for myself but, than what I did yesterday. Or, you know, I'm going to ask for this promotion because I've been working really hard and I deserve it. Mm-hmm perfection is control and fear-based whereas excellence is trust and courage-based perfection is all about having a fixed mindset right black or white thinking all or night all or nothing thinking i'm not allowed to change my mind all knowing it's definitely not a learning mindset right i need to know that's why it's so hard as perfectionist to get feedback Analyze mm-hmm. right? it whereas excellence is all about having being curious Having um, a growth mindset, being um, a learner, a student of life, instead right. of you know everything. Perfectionism is when you perform, mm-hmm. like when you are, you know, in trial or when you're giving a presentation or in your, when you're in a client meeting and you find yourself performing. Right, mm-hmm. that is perfectionism versus excellence is authentic, authenticity. Okay. Um, you have the knowledge and you'll show up right. You've done your work, you've prepared in advance, and you've got this, right? That's when you're in your authenticity or zone of genius. You know, perfectionism is when we're constantly seeking advice, whereas excellence is all about input, right? Input is like feedback, collaborative, like how can I make this project better or this idea better? Whereas advice is, well, do you approve of this? Do you think I can do it?
1: Okay, that's interesting because I will say I have symptoms of perfectionism because I mean, I have high expectations and stuff, but I, I, I want to know that what I'm doing is I, I can be a people pleaser right. on things. And, well, part of my job is to be a people pleaser because I've got like six different people I have to answer to. Right. And I think from a lawyer's perspective where perfectionism gets very difficult is when you've got deadlines, you've got to meet the deadline. And sometimes lawyers are like, well, I want to look over that brief one more time, or I want to look over this and, that. and you just go at nauseam on that. And I think as a lawyer, you kind of have to go for the excellence because first off, a client's not always going to be willing to pay for at nauseum things and stuff. And you've got to get the stuff out the door. So you have to have confidence in yourself to do that. But I think with a The people-pleasing, that's tough because a lot of people, well, most people, they want to be liked. They don't like to disappoint people. Um, And you had on there avoiding conflict. That's something, too. Lawyers, it's sometimes tough for us to have a difficult conversation with a client or a spouse or a friend. Um, So that's very interesting. Um, I think one thing for me, though, on the excellence It sounded like you were talking more about, it comes down to confidence. You've got to believe in yourself know that you're good and you can ask for feedback, but you're like, Hey, I'm good. I just want to get better. Whereas perfectionism is like, I just want to make sure I'm doing it perfect because I can't stand the criticism.
0: Right. Right. And, um, and yeah, so I think that that's, that's so perfection is a confidence killer. Mm Mm-hmm. And because it stunts our growth, it, like, makes us question our decisions, we procrastinate. And so, yes, like, excellence is all about being competent.
1: Right. So when you've talked to lawyers um, about this topic, I know probably lawyers come back and say, well, you know what, I've got to be perfect, right? I have this perfectionism because I have a big client that hires me and I have to be right. Um, They're paying me to be right and not be wrong. I have to meet the deadlines. So I've got the pressure. Um, If I don't meet these deadlines, well, this client may go to another law firm. So if I lose a client, that's a bad thing. Um, Talk about some of the traps you've seen with lawyers and recommendations for them to uh, avoid those traps.
0: Yeah, so I think the traps, is that right? That the culture within like, I would say 99% of law firms is that of perfection. Mm-hmm. And that fear, I mean, it's, it's just very pervasive, right? And so it's, you know, it, it can start with one person, right? It starts brick by brick by changing culture, but it, you know, has to be, a, I mean, it really takes a culture-wide change to shift it. However, mm-hmm. it's about even just shifting the word, like stop even using the word perfect and start using excellence. Because here's the thing, you can mm-hmm. achieve the same result for a client, the same result and probably better mm-hmm. when you're lane of excellence when you're in the lane of perfectionism yes you achieve the same result but it comes with anxiety stress depression Mm -hmm. overwhelm obsessive thoughts Mm self-criticism and so i don't know about you but i want to achieve those results without all that stuff i I definitely do (laughs) and so it's it's that and then also in terms of a client Mm -hmm. leaving one of my favorite mantras is you cannot miss out on what's meant for you yeah if you show up in your authenticity and you were doing your job and you're in integrity with yourself, right? Integrity mm-hmm. with yourself is, you know, like I really prepared for this. I did the right research. I didn't overbill. I did, you know, like I did the right thing. If that client leaves you, they aren't meant for you. And it's just creating space for a more aligned client.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, yeah. I don't know about you, but if a client's just going to leave, do you really want that to be your client?
1: Well, I've, I agree. I mean, I feel like if you're doing your best and you can kind of look in the mirror and say, Hey, I did my best. Most, most people are going to be reasonable and be like, yeah, you know, you're working hard. I'm happy with uh, the client. I, I never lost a client, but, um, but you know, sometimes the client that leaves you is a Christmas gift because not every client is ideal for you. And right. if it's somebody that has unrealistic expectations, you're never going to make that client happy. Right. So. Well, is let me, it, uh, oh, go ahead.
0: Like, do you want to, do? You, I mean, and, and sometimes you can't make that decision, especially if you're an associate, like, do I get to work for this client? But right. is it, like, do you want to work with someone who's going to constantly be difficult, constantly question you? Um, and so that's a business decision.
1: Right. Um, I want to ask you about, um, you mentioned that perfectionism is highly associated with anxiety and depression. And one of the things that is very common in the legal profession is depression uh, the stats came out about on the CLE about the very high number of um, lawyers that have alcohol problems, drug problems. And unfortunately, we've seen more suicides um, in the legal profession. Um, talk about um, that issue.
0: Yeah. Well, it's the unrealistic expectations that we set. I mean, we as humans are naturally harder on ourselves than anyone else. We talk
1: That's to it, right.
0: ourselves in a way that we would never talk to anyone else. Mm-hmm. And so when you're in that, that, that culture of like, you're setting your own expectations that are unrealistic. I and mean, then also there's unrealistic expectations in the work environment, right? I mean, it's just yeah. now, it's just how it's been done. I mean, it takes really forward thinking law firm leadership to start changing the way a law firm is run. Mm-hmm. In, in that regard, but it's, you know, it's, yes, it creates anxiety because you're constantly like at the whim of what other people think, right? You know, like if you aren't solid with yourself and you're constantly at what, the whim of what other people think, you're going to be in constant anxiety because you can't control other people. Right. And you can't control what they think and what they think has nothing to do with you.
1: Right. Have you seen um, law firms uh, address this issue, like uh, corporate overhaul? Because I know the issue has been uh, discussed by a lot of the, the bar associations for several years and I don't know if more law firms have actually gotten in front of this issue. I don't know if COVID kind of forced them to, um, but what have you seen?
0: You know, to be quite honest, I've seen a lot of people talk about it, but not a whole lot of real action.
1: That's kind of what I figured.
0: And so I would love for the listeners, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if there's anyone who's like truly ready to take it, I mean, it's it's a big deal, but to be the leader, because you can achieve even more success. As an organization, when you start shifting from a culture of perfection to excellence, like you're going to achieve the same results and more.
1: Yeah, you know one thing um, with perfectionism that I think is tough um, is as lawyers, we want to be right all the time. And one thing that's interesting about uh, where I work, and I don't know that they they think about it, I've, I've mentioned it, but whenever we do our reviews, there's a question on there. That is, start doing this, stop doing this, and continue doing that. So the reviewer is forced to talk about something that you're not doing, which you need to do, but yet stop doing something that you're doing. So there are two negatives right there that you're automatically getting. And then on the review process, um, the ranking system is one through five. If you're doing your job and doing a good job, you get a three. And if you're doing Better than everyone else, it's like a four. But if you're just doing outstanding and it couldn't be done any better, then you can get a five. And I, I, my boss hates hates that, and we just kind of have to deal with it. But I was like, you know, this review system is really tough from a lawyer's perspective because as a lawyer, I grew up in school. I, I expected to get A's. I put forth my effort to get A's, and so for lawyers when we get a a middle of the road grade, that's deemed average for us. That's a C that's not acceptable. And I thought, you know, really organizations, I think they kind of need to focus less on the negative and more on the positive.
0: Right. Well, and I think too, it's changing what feedback looks like, right? Instead of feedback being about criticisms, feedback needs to shift to being curious. Right. And it also starts with us. Right. So for me, one of the ways like there's there's three things I like to say to myself. And this is um, something that Brene Brown teaches. But three things I like to say to myself when I'm receiving feedback, because even mm. though I do this perfectionism stuff, I need it. I still need it. Right. So I was someone who like I remember when the managing partner gave me a review and everything was glowing except for one one item. And it was minor, and I was I left, and I was like, I'm a failure. I can't believe, it. you know. It was the only thing I focused on, and so for me, mm-hmm. I shift feedback, and I'm like, this is an opportunity to get better. And so the three things I tell myself are, I'm brave enough to listen. Mm-hmm. There's something valuable here, and this is the path to mastery.
1: That's a good point because you've taken the position that I guess for for excellence, you're taking it as that's information I'm getting to be more excellent as opposed to sometimes I will be in and I do that too but I mean as a lawyer it's like when you get criticism it's like that's what you kind of dwell on
0: right. well and it's a choice yeah right? it's about bringing that confidence back in house trusting yourself and also taking what you need need to lead the rest mm-hmm. just someone says something doesn't make it true right opinions are just information
1: they are not facts yeah, but when the boss is giving it to you, though, I take it as, well, oh, that's an important.
0: But it's a, a cho- you know, like truly, like it's a choice. Like I had a call with one of my coaches that coaches me a few weeks ago and she gave uh, me a, and I left the call and I was like, you know what? I don't actually think that's true for me right now.
1: Yeah. And also we
0: would have taken, like put her on a pedestal and everything she said would have been, you know, what's right. But I was like, you know what? I actually don't think all of that's true for me
1: right now in my life. Interesting. Well, um, you know, on your list of things about perfectionism in your career and how it can be a a problem. um, One of the things you had down here is your career is your identity. A lot of lawyers have that problem. A lot of just professionals in general, whether it's a dentist, a doctor, a a marketing executive. um, And I I know I had a, a moment in my life when I was like, you know what? if I'm a really, really good lawyer at my firm and I'm saying, hey, I bill 2,200, 23, 2,400 hours a year, I build as much as anybody in the firm, I draft a really great real estate contract. I'm like, is that something really that awesome to be having said about you? And I'm like, yeah, probably not because it means if you are, you have no life. Right,
0: right, right. And and two, it's, you know, as high achievers we get that dopamine hit from work yeah and so of course like we go home and maybe with our families we don't feel as successful you know parent and we feel like a failure so of course we're going to turn to work because work gives us the dopamine hit right but it's about truly like who am i like what do i really what are my priorities in life right you know, well, is this my purpose? Do I enjoy this? Do I love this? Do I need to revisit it? And then also like, you know, we're, this is, uh, this life that we're living is not a dress rehearsal.
1: Right. Well, let me ask this. You mentioned um, the families. Um, talk about your experience with, and you're in this category too, with the, the working moms, the working dads, you're trying to juggle a busy career where you're supposed to be you know, perfect and high pressure, but yet you want to be a good parent. And I just know a lot of lawyers that struggle with being a good lawyer and a good parent Yeah, because it's, there are only so many hours in the day.
0: Right. So I think with that, it's throwing the word balance out the window. Mm-hmm. Everyone tells us we need to have work-life balance. It is not a thing because balance implies that everything in our life at every hour of the day requires equal attention.
1: Okay, well, that's an interesting right. perspective. Yeah.
0: That's what balance implies. Like um, my partner, my child, my friend, myself, my work, the client, whatever it is, all requires equal. It's a setup for failure. Yeah. And so switch from the idea of balance to priorities and understand that it's going to shift day to day and week to week. And it's about really being proactive in terms of how you approach your time. Mm hmm. Yourself permission. So, for example, one week you may have a case where you are working 12 hour days. Right. You're not going to show up as a parent.
1: Mm-hmm. But here's
0: the thing mm-hmm. if you don't give yourself permission to do that, then you're going to be beating yourself up while you're at work, which makes you less present at work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the same thing like another week, it may be all about your family. You know, you may be covering soccer practice, you may be doing a science experiment, and that's your focus. And again, you have to give yourself permission because then you're going to feel guilty while you're with your children. And that takes away from the point. So it's really about shifting from the idea of balance to priorities and being really intentional about how you spend your time and giving yourself permission.
1: Yeah, that's a good point because if you have the priorities, and let's say, you know, back to your example about the trial. Um, you're setting yourself up for more successes because you're like, this is my goal. I'm going to achieve that goal. The next week I'm focused more on the family. Or if you have this timeline, you're giving yourself an opportunity to have some wins there.
0: Right. And And communicating, Communicating communicate to your children. Hey, like I think we just forget to communicate. Like children just want to be communicated with. I wasn't as a child. Like that's so important for my son. I'm like, Hey, I've got this really big project and I know I haven't been as present But this weekend is all about you, right? And then then following through, right? We need to our actions need to match our words,
1: right? Well, I've seen the examples too, like on TV or movies, or just with friends in real life. You may have the scenario where the the working mom or the working dad, um, uh, you know, they have their career and stuff, but yet you've got the the mom who's a stay at home mom who. That, uh, is like the perfect PTA parent and stuff. I think it was on Modern Family, for example. And like, so like Carol, uh, you know, she's a working mom and trying to do all this stuff and she didn't feel that she was measuring up to the other moms and they were like looking down on her, but they didn't have the working career that Carol did. And I think that's tough for a lot of parents because you want to be like the great parent um, at the school, but yet you want to be great in the career. And so I think on your point about setting the goals, you're like, you know, this is what I can do. And you've got to meet your standards and you can't worry about what other people are saying.
0: Personally, I am never going to be the PTO parent. Yeah. We'll never be that. But you know what? My child is extremely emotionally literate.
1: Mm -hmm. Interesting.
0: So so it's like, stop comparing yourself to other people's, you know, like stay in your lane and stop, stop looking in everyone else's lane.
1: Right. You know, um, one of the things you talked about in the presentation was um, the difference between leading yourself and leading others. So like in leading others, you had down as uh, things about where perfectionists tend to micromanage, lack of delegation, uh, avoiding difficult conversations, which you mentioned earlier, and unrealistic expectations of team members. I can tell you that I, uh, I definitely related to that because I'm the kind of person that I I will take the bull by the horns and run with it and get it done. Or, you know, it, uh, instead of delegating things, which I have a great assistant, but sometimes she's not able to do things, but it's like, you're like, well, no one can do it better than you. And so you, you take on things that if you kind of trusted your teammates or your colleagues more then it's taken less pressure off of you. And I think that's hard for a lot of people to do. Um, I get micromanaged a lot too. It's like, did you do this? I'm like, yes, I'm going to do it. But I mean, when people are just constantly micromanaging, that's even more pressure.
0: Yeah. Well, when you don't delegate, you're stunting your own
1: growth. Yeah.
0: Because you're not freeing up time for you to take on new tasks and learn new things because you're doing the same stuff. Mm -hmm. And so really like you're stunting your own growth and you're stunning the growth of others.
1: Yeah. You know, it was interesting. I was talking to um, the friend of mine that she just became a realtor, mm-hmm. and she had a coach, and they were talking about how to set all that up. And she's like, "You know what? All the administrative things that aren't bringing you revenue, you need to hire an assistant to do because right. you need to have the time of doing things that are bringing you revenue. And that that could be the same for the lawyer, where hey, if it's something your assistant can do, it's you're, you're back to stuff that you can bill your five hundred dollars an hour for.
0: Well, and but also like, as lawyers, like your edge is is creativity
1: mm-hmm.
0: and coming up with new solutions and so if you don't even set aside free space for yourself right you delegating could give you 2 hours to read harvard business review right or new you know whatever like some legal whatever you all read <laughs> um but it could give you opportunity to like to explore new things because we we take for we really don't emphasize the importance of giving ourselves space mm-hmm. to dream and expand and come up with new ideas
1: yeah.
0: that off for the clients in the long run.
1: That's a very true point because, uh, you know, when your world is focused on the billable hour, well, that time when you're reading the Lexington Herald or the whatever newspaper to see what's going on, which you kind of need to know for your business, well, you're not billing for that hour. Um, and so it's like, well, if you've got to bill your eight or nine hours a day, well, that's an extra hour. You've got to stay at the office and stuff. So that that's very true. So let me ask this, um, what, um, what are the biggest issues you're seeing for the young professionals who are kind of getting into the working world now? Cause they talk about with the millennials having a different mindset than generation X and the baby boomers, um, talk about the issues that they're, they're facing.
0: You know, I think that the millennials really want, um, I think they care about like social impact and having like an impact and really feeling valued mm-hmm. in the world. Important to them. I think it's important to everyone, but like they're more vocal about it. They're more aware of it. Right. And also I think, you know, they want to move up really quickly. Yeah. They, wanna, they started today, they want to be promoted to executive tomorrow. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think, you know, having some patience um, is helpful. And, you know, I think that, I mean, they have perfectionist tendencies too, but just in different ways. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, women have, like, everyone struggles with perfectionism. It just manifests in different ways.
1: Right. You know, that's an interesting point you uh, raise about the millennials, because I just know that... I'm generation X. I know the baby boomer generation ahead of me. The baby boomers have an attitude of, well, if you haven't paid your dues, you're not. they, they resent you right. if you try to come up. So if you didn't go through the exact stuff that they've gone through, they resent you. And that comes back to the billable hours because I know yeah. a lot of times law firms, uh, the associates will say, well, why does it really matter about the billable hours? It's like, because at the end of the day, if you're getting paid based on your billable hours and collections and stuff, you're going to know who's working hard and who's not. I mean, it, you're going to know who the slackers are. So it's kind of like, if you don't have this billable hour thresh, threshold, the, work, the good workers are still going to do the work. But yet the, the older attorneys are like, well, I had to bill 2,000 hours a year and 2,400 or whatever. And so that's what we're going to do. And you've got to do it too. And I think it, um, when talking with some of my women friends who are attorneys, that's a real issue for a lot of women who are looking to start a family uh, mm-hmm. because they're put in this scenario where when they want to have the child, it, it's different for women than guys. It's They need more time off and stuff. And then law firms have to deal with the issue of partnership and, that's a a disadvantage that a lot of women have to deal with and that law firms really, in my opinion, should be more on the forefront uh, of dealing with.
0: Well, if they want to attract, you know, really good talent, then yes, they need to be more, um, they need to be more thoughtful about that. But yeah, in terms of like the baby boomers being hard, like you do have to pay your dues. I definitely saw that. I mean, I was, I came in, you know, as a 25 year old leading a department. So, and so, you know, in a male dominant, industry or it was, uh, in mm-hmm. 2008. <laughs> and, right. uh, and so I had to really like prove myself and show that I was, you know, capable of what I was able to do. And I, and I did, but like, there are a lot of people who questioned my ability, especially cause I was only 25.
1: Right.
0: Uh, but you know, who we are is how we lead.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so if we are not self-aware, that is going to be reflected in our leadership. So of course the baby boomers are saying you have to pay your dues because they were forced to pay their dues right. and critical of themselves. You know, even as I led my marketing teams with little self-awareness, I was in perfection mode, right? I was not on this journey of overcoming perfectionism. I didn't know it was what was holding me back. And so I was really critical of my team Right? because I was critical of myself. And so it's so important to focus on our own self-awareness and growth because that impacts everyone and everything around us.
1: Yep. I agree. Well, let me ask you this. Um, You're an author of the book, Addicted to Perfection. Talk about the book writing process because uh, it's a long process. It's not easy to get a book published and uh, to be as successful as you were with your book.
0: Yeah. So I always had a dream before even starting my own business to start to write a book and tell my story because no one, you know, just, that was a dream of mine.
1: Mm.
0: So, um, I really wanted a publisher. I wanted a publisher instead of self-publishing because I knew writing my memoir was going to be a very sensitive topic and I needed mm-hmm. a deadline to be held accountable to. Right. <laughs> you know, I was like, I need a contract that I'm signing or I'm not, you know, or I'll talk about this book for 10 years and never do it. Mm-hmm. And so I knew my limitations, right. I knew I needed like external accountability. So, um, I, and I got an agent, and they shot my book, and um, a small publisher in New York City bought it. Mm. And you know, the contract is not entirely author friendly, but for me, it was about getting my story out there and not about making money off my book. Right? Um, it was about the goal of being part of the one percent of people who write and publish books, and so. Um, so I wrote it, I wrote two chapters to sell the book. And then to be quite honest, it took me five weeks to write the, the first draft.
1: That's pretty quick.
0: Well, that's all I did. I mean, the book had been, you know, marinating for yeah, you know,
1: all
0: yeah, my entire life, but it took five weeks to write it. And that is a legitimately, like, that's all I did. <laughs> I wow.
1: didn't
0: do any other work. I was not fun to be around for five weeks. Well, that's what I did. And then it was turned over to the content editor and that process was pretty brutal and took about three months and then final edits and went to the publisher. So uh, it doesn't have to take a while. You know, my book was on perfectionism, but we overthink it, right? I had to throw perfectionism out the window when I was writing it. I was like, I'm writing a book about perfectionism. If like uh, Elizabeth Gilbert wrote the book, Big Magic. And in it she says, it is better to write a shitty book than no book. Right. And I don't think my book's shitty, but (laughs) that's my perspective. You know, I was like, a good enough book is better than no book.
1: Yeah. You know, that's an interesting point. I I don't think we talked about it, but, um, you know, on the procrastination or being a perfectionist where you don't think that you're doing enough or whatever, I was thinking back of a scenario with a, a parent and a kid or... I have uh, nephews and stuff, and some people are like, you know what? Maybe I, I I focus so much on work, I don't give enough time to my kids or my spouse or whatever. But a lot of times with a kid, it's like the fact that you're there. Uh, they they're not expecting you to be perfect. They're just expecting you to be there. I think, and so it's not like you're having to uh, look your best and do this. And I, I think too, you've got to move the ball along the. Uh, up the hill at some point. Like you said, you've got to get the book done at some point. And uh, the same with a lawyer, you know, you've got to get stuff out the door or even like with with a spouse, it's may not be the perfect date night, but at least you set aside time for the date night. You're putting forth the effort. So very interesting. Well, let me just check because I really enjoyed the presentation. Um, And, I guess right now with the, the people that you're counseling and stuff, what are your uh, recommendations to people who are kind of coming out of from COVID and, you know, some people have been working from home for a long time. Some people have lost their jobs. Um, they've had a lot of stress. Uh, what are the tips that you've been giving those uh, people to kind of get them motivated for a good 2021?
0: Well, I think it's, you know, it's about like done is better than perfect, right? Action. Yep. Confidence, which leads to action, which I talked about, and so it's just taking action, right? If you lost your job, like, like it's, let's start exploring what interests you, and let's just start applying, right? Instead of waiting and procrastinating and looking for the perfect job, let's just start setting the energy by applying for a lot of careers. Right. So they're setting that energy of jobs, and I think also it's about, um, you know, really, if you want to start the journey of awareness and get out of it, because we are our own worst enemy. And we are our, our biggest limits, our individual selves. We limit ourselves. No one else does. We do. And so if you really want to get out of your own way, it's about starting by really observing your thoughts. You know, I talked about in the presentation, like curious observation mm-hmm. and so spending some time with like writing down, like, what am I saying to myself? And what are the things that I'm, you know, that I'm telling myself is, are true about myself that aren't right. That I'm not mm-hmm. smart. that I'm lazy, that I'm selfish, whatever it is. And so it's really, that's like the first step. Right. I'm still a big believer in what's meant for you. Cannot miss you.
1: Right. No, I agree. I think karma is definitely there. So, well, Vitaly, I really enjoyed our, our conversation. Um, I know you've got, we just kind of peeled back a one layer of the onion. Um, I mean, you have a lot of great insight on this topic, and I want to invite my guests to definitely check out your website at vitalibuford.com. You're available for speaking to big groups like you did with the Kentucky Bar, and there are are groups, not just lawyers, but any group like company training, even individual training, stuff like that. They can contact you. You do a consultation both uh, remotely and within the state of Kentucky. I forgot to mention Vitaly is based in Lexington, Kentucky.
0: And I travel for people who are comfortable with in person and not. I do virtual.
1: Yeah. So, you know, definitely check out her website. Also, her book Addicted to Perfect um, because I feel like, like you mentioned, there are a lot of people that are looking for growth, but sometimes they're afraid of uh, not being able to people, please, and stuff, and they they never get out of the gate. They're so and that, and that's a problem because there are a lot of people with talents that don't maximize the talents. But um, the website again is wwwbu and uh, I've enjoyed having Vitali as our guest, but we're not done yet. As uh-huh. you know, on the show, we always ask our guests the living the dream questions to see if our guest is truly living the dream. So, before we got on the air, Vitaly told me that she's not able to answer my standard questions relating to Rodney Dangerfield and Chris Farley, so she's already starting out the questions with a minus two. So we're hoping, so we're hoping that her answers going forward will get her out of that hole. I'll be
0: exciting if I
1: answer. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as as disappointed as I was about the Rodney Dangerfield question, my bulldog Rodney is even more disappointed. But that's okay. <laughs> So, all right. So, Vitaly, are you ready to, for the Living the Dream questions? Let's do
0: it. Um, we're going to go organic
1: on this. All right. First question, since we talked about a bunch of lawyers, what's a better lawyer-based TV show? L.A. Law, Matlock, Perry Mason, Boston Legal with William Shatner, or Suits with Harvey Specter? I would
0: say Suits, but honestly, my favorite
1: is Law & Order. <laughs> Law & Order. Oh, I didn't have them on there. I guess I thought more of that as a police show, but you're right. Well,
0: for SVU. oh yeah,
1: wow. <laughs> I think that's been on for uh, like 20 years, right? Oh, yes. It that's is one with Marissa, Mariska Har- Hargisay, right? Yep. Yep. All right. Well, that, that's a good answer. See, thinking outside the box, you yep. were going, that answer was actually going for excellence rather than perfection because <laughs> you, you went for something outside the box and you really didn't care what I thought. <laughs> because <laughs> I didn't put it on the list. All right. Next question. Um what are your uh, three favorite movies?
0: Ooh, uh Remember the Titans, Coach Carter.
1: Well, that's and, a good movie.
0: Um Oh gosh. Probably another sports one. What's the one that's like the other football player and it's based in Memphis?
1: Oh, the one with um the long the longest yard. I know it's the one with um the, the football tackle is Sean sure. Tui and Sandra Bullock taking them in. Gosh, well, I forgot the name of that. Blindside. 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 Yeah, because he's a left tackle protecting the blind side of the quarterback. That's a good movie. I love
0: those too. movies because it's about motivating people to be their best
1: self. Wow. See, so you're already out of that hole of a negative two. You're up to zero now. Thanks. All Thanks. right. <laughs> Next question. Uh, name your three favorite rock bands.
0: Ooh, uh, Fleetwood Mac.
1: That's a good one.
0: Florence and the Machine. And, you know, I've really been jamming to, to Khaled a
1: lot lately. To who? Khaled. DJ Khaled? No, not DJ Khaled. Oh, okay, I was going to say if it was DJ Khaled, I'd have to give you a minus one. <laughs> no,
0: regular one. But Fleetwood Mac is my favorite, favorite band.
1: Yeah. That's, that's a good answer right there. All right, uh, next question. Um, who are your three favorite other musical performers? So you got Like R and B or just pop country.
0: Gosh, I love all all music. Um, I love pop. Do you want artist names? Sure. Like I need to pull up my iTunes. Um, (laughs) I um, my son really loves um, Marshmallow, so we've been listening to that. (laughs) The DJ and um, gosh, I don't know. I'm going to get a negative zero on this because I love everything.
1: Yeah. Well, you didn't mention DJ Khaled, so that will just give it a, a neutral there. The only reason why I mentioned that, and, and I guess to kind of go back, though, if you think about DJ Khaled, well, I, I don't care for his rap and stuff. That's a guy that he went from very, very humble beginnings, and he had a vision, and he has worked hard, and he's become a major success, even though he's not to my taste. And it's a it's a really good feel good story for for somebody like that. I love that. Yeah. All right. Uh, next question: uh, Three favorite TV series, past or present.
0: Um. Oh. Uh, this is us.
1: Oh, that's a good show. Good show.
0: And I'm telling you, I love Law and Order SVU. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Sex and the City.
1: Sex and the City. All right. We get a lot of the Sex in the City from the women guests, not too much from the guys on the show. So good answers, though. You know, the, I, I guess uh, on Sex in the City, they're going to be doing a reboot, but uh Samantha's not going to be on there. Yeah,
0: you know, I don't know if I'm going to like the reboot, but.
1: I know. I mean, if they don't have Samantha on there, that's a. I know
0: that's the main
1: reason I watched. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question. Uh, since you are from Kentucky, even though you were born in Alabama, right? Born in Alabama, but you live in Kentucky now. All right. Uh, What are your favorite Kentucky traditions or landmarks?
0: Oh, gosh. I love my old Kentucky home. Yep. Um, I just love that so much. And I love, you know, I live near the Henry Clay Estate. Mm -hmm. So I love that. Um, And I would say the Keeneland Racecourse.
1: All right. You know, what's interesting is uh, down here in Florida, Keeneland had a lot of their operations moved to – or it was a polo, U.S. polo, and they were in Lexington, and they went down to Palm Beach County. But uh yeah, everyone—it's like when they go to Lexington, if they're not going to a Kentucky ball game, they're going to Keeneland.
0: Right,
1: right. How do you like living in Lexington?
0: I love it. I've lived here 16 years, and okay, home, and it's where my friends are, and where I've made you know created a family, and so uh, I love it.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah, I used to go to Lexington a lot for the Kentucky games. I haven't been there in a while, but. Uh, of course everything revolves around the University of Kentucky. Yes. There. It does. All right. So next question. Um, what are your favorite Kentucky restaurants?
0: Ooh, I like Jack Fry's in Louisville.
1: Yes, I'm familiar with that. I went to law school in Louisville.
0: Okay. Louisville's like my favorite city.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Kentucky, I live in Lexington, and so I'm sorry for people listening, but I love
1: Louisville. It's only 45 minutes away.
0: I know. So I would say Jack Fries and gosh, I went to Valarie. That was pretty good. Mm. Um, but that's it. Most of my favorite restaurants are in Louisville.
1: In Louisville. All right. Next question. Uh, if you could have lunch with three people living or dead, other than me or your immediate family, since I'm the host and you have dinner with family regularly, probably um, who would you pick? And it doesn't have to be a celebrity
0: um, Sarah Blakely, the CEO of Spanx.
1: Uh, Oh, you know what? That's an interesting pick right there.
0: Well, one of my dreams is to, um, coach and train at Spanx. Like it is on my board, it is goal. And I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. So,
1: so why is that?
0: Why is that? I just love the culture she's created and forward thinking and the innovation and that I just love and she supports women and so I just I love their culture and so um that's a goal of mine. And then you know I'd probably say Reese Witherspoon because another dream of mine is for her to produce the movie of my book.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well and, and she played a lawyer in legally blonde so that's appropriate for the show.
0: I don't want her to I just wanted her to produce it. I don't need her to I mean if she wants to be in it I'm all for that, but I want her because she produces all these women, um, these women, the books and stories and stuff. So uh, that, and then I would have Dr. Seuss.
1: Dr. Seuss. All right. That's, that's interesting. Going back to Reese Weatherspoon, I forgot to ask you on your, um, on your book because, um, you know, she did Legally Blonde and stuff like that. Um, How did you pick your agent for uh, your book? Was it a literary agent or was it
0: it was a book agent and it was someone that was at a conference. You know, there, okay. there are different ways of going about it. And honestly, like, I'm going to start writing my next book uh-huh. and I will prop, I will shop it around and go with a different publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, again, the entire process was done is better than perfect.
1: Right. But uh, so you found that agent through a conference and then they kind of opened yeah. the doors about this is a pu- these are the publishers and stuff. So I'm going to have to do that with that movie project, too. Yes. Interesting. I think that's awesome that you like wrote a book. It's like really cool. Thank
0: you so much. Well, if it's for me, like if I can do it, anyone can do it.
1: Truly. Well, I think one thing when you're getting involved in like writing a book or a movie script, a lot of times people, they don't know where to go and you don't want to get paired up with someone who's uh, a scam artist and stuff. And so finding people that are legit, um, because I mean, you may not know what the pricing is and that stuff. And just to have people that are reliable and and move the deal forward is a big thing. So uh, next question. um, What are your favorite vacation spots?
0: Oh, well, I actually recently went to Turks and Caicos and that was pretty incredible. So I'm going to put that up there.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Sedona, Arizona is Mm -hmm. like favorites. And then Let's go with Paris.
1: Paris. Okay. Not Paris, Kentucky, right? Paris, France. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the people in Paris, Kentucky were disappointed to hear that, but I don't think I actually have any listeners from Paris, Kentucky, so it doesn't matter what they think. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question. Favorite sports teams?
0: <laughs> Alabama. And I went to the University of Georgia.
1: So. Oh, Really? Well, I got to tell you, I've got to give you an extra point then for University of Georgia because their mascot is an English bulldog, bulldog. just like Rodney. Just like Rodney.
0: Maybe so, you, forgive me.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so you said you went to college at University of Georgia, though, right? Yeah. I've always, I've never been to University of Georgia. I went to a lot of the SEC schools to watch basketball games and stuff. But I've heard UGA is an awesome campus.
0: Oh my gosh, it's a great college town. I want to go. I want to go back to a game here in the next few years, just to, to visit and see how things have changed. But yeah, it was a great,
1: great college experience. Very grateful. So how did you end up deciding to go there for college?
0: You know, I didn't want to go in state in Alabama because everyone was going to Alabama or Auburn Yeah, and, or further away. And so I didn't want to go too far from home, but I didn't want to go in state. And honestly, like my, the guidance counselor was like, why don't you apply to Georgia? I got in and like accepted before I even visited. So I didn't really know what I was getting into. I didn't know anyone, um, but I'm very grateful I went.
1: Got it. Yeah, no, I know it's a great school. Uh, I wish their basketball program was better. I mean, their football program is usually pretty good. But back in the day, when I first started getting into to basketball, they had Dominique Wilkins there. This was like 82. Got and it. of course, he was a great, great player for the Atlanta Hawks. But yeah, with all the athletes they have in Georgia, I thought they would have a better basketball team, but. All right. So what about the Wildcats? Are you a fan of the Kentucky Wildcats?
0: I am. I
1: am. Now this year, there was not much to be a fan of this year.
0: This year was sad.
1: Yeah. All right. So next question. Gosh, I don't know if you'll have an answer for this, but we'll see. Who are your favorite University of Kentucky basketball players? Yep. Don't have an answer. Don't have an answer. Minus five. Minus five right there. All right. You can't live in Kentucky and not have a favorite Kentucky basketball player.
0: I've just proven to you, Ben, that you can.
1: <laughs> That's not living the dream at all. All right. Oh, this is a great question, then. Great question. So if you could pick anyone to play you in a movie, who would you pick?
0: To play me in my movie. I have, you know, I've been thinking about that. And I have no freaking idea.
1: I thought you were going to say Reese Weatherspoon.
0: Well, I mean, Reese
1: is not a brunette. Yeah. I guess you can go with uh, Mandy Moore. I could go with Mandy that's Moore. From, that's from um, This Is Us, one of your favorite TV shows. That's right. Yeah, Bet. I'm not one of these hosts that just answers, asks the questions, and doesn't listen to the answer. I listen to that mm-hmm. answer. Awesome. All right. So we'll go with Mandy Moore there. All right, next question. Favorite stand-up comedian? Oh, God, Chris Rock. Oh, that's a great answer. That's a great answer.
0: (laughs) I've seen him live, and he is. I just
1: love him. Well, let me ask you this about with Chris Rock. All right. Going into a Chris Rock show, I I saw him live, and I think, of course, I want to say Rodney Dangerfield is the best stand-up comedian I've seen. But I I have Chris Rock right there. Because going into a Chris Rock show, you know it's going to be filthy, language-wise. And I walked in, and it was even filthier. Than I thought, but yeah, you can't help find yourself find yourself laughing because he's so funny. Yep,
0: yeah, it was. I saw him in at Atlanta. Uh, I think he oh was. Gosh,
1: a- <laughs> he was probably <laughs> wow.
0: It was wonderful, and it was. um, It was so it was hilarious. Like I just he cracks me up. I love his energy. I don't mind the filth. Like I just he cracks me up.
1: Yeah, no, he's really good, and his comedy is smart too. Right. He's very smart. So, all right. That's a great answer. I think, I don't know if we've gotten a Chris Rocky answer on that.
0: Boom.
1: That's great though. All right. Next question. Um, Who's your favorite late night talk show host? This could be past or present. Some choices are Johnny Carson, Jay Leno, David Letterman, Joan Rivers, some back in the eighties and nineties. Then in the new era, we've got Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Stephen Colbert, or other. Letterman. Letterman. All right. Always a good pick there. I love when you did the top 10 list. I know. top All right. Final question. Who are the favorite celebrities that you've met?
0: Oh, gosh. I'm trying to think who I've met. Um, you know, I don't really have a favorite. I worked at a PR firm in New York city. Uh-huh. I met like and McGregor and Ethan Hawke, um, but I don't have a favorite that I've met. I, I haven't have a
1: favorite
0: Now, when my movie gets made into a book, Ben, I will be yes. meeting celebrities, so I'll let you know then.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we may have to go with Chris Rock then. Right. Got right. It. All right. Well, let's tally up score here. Remember, you started with a minus two.
0: I'm going to be the negative, but I'm okay because I'm...
1: And you got that negative five for the University of Kentucky basketball players uh, not having one. So, let's see here. Do the math here. Lawyers are not good at math, even though I am. All right. You have a positive score here. Positive score of, yeah. a, po- of a positive five. So, that means you're living the dream here. All right. Well... Vitaly, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed uh, our discussion. And, like I said, we only scratched the surface of what uh, you talk about with perfectionism. And that's why you should follow her at www.vitalybuford.com. You're on social media too, right?
0: I am on LinkedIn and Instagram.
1: Okay. So people can check you out there. But, um, you know, she's available for coaching for individuals or better, even for uh, groups. For employees um, of companies and stuff. So definitely check her out. A lot of good information and a lot of good insight um, to make you not a perfectionist, but excellent.
0: Yes. Awesome. So,
1: well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I uh, hope you enjoyed being a guest.
0: Good.
1: And uh, to all our fans out there, thank you so much for the support. Uh, we hope you enjoy the show and we will see you guys next week. Have a great day.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. Find us online at benandrodney.com and follow us on Instagram at benwilsonmiami.